Because oftentimes they only see their life a life of struggle, a life of pain, a life of hurt. If nothing else, God woke you up this morning. The next breath you take is not by your power, but by the one who allows you to take the next breath. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for an everlasting love. A love that, Lord, that is long-suffering with us. A love that is very patient with us. A love that knows our beginning and our end. And Lord, you know how we function and how we act in between all of that. And Lord, sometimes our lives are ugly and all messed up. But that never stops you from loving us. And we're so thankful that you are the faithful one. That you're always there on our behalf. You're always there to minister to us, to help us. And sometimes, Lord, we forget that you were there, Lord, when we were not even calling upon your name. You were there helping us. And the better word might be preserving us until our eyes were open. Lord, you are the merciful God who works with your creation. Help us to see what you desire us to be. Because oftentimes, Lord, we see ourselves as we are, but we're not honest with that. But what we don't see is what you desire us to become. And that's a work that only you and you alone can really perform. But Lord, we have our part to play. We have our part to do. And we're thankful that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old should be passing away. How quickly that passed away depends on us. And the new that is coming depends on us on how quickly we add the new to our life. And I pray, Father, that you would minister to us, that we would see our part to play, and that you've given us the strength to do it. It's a challenge to us. But the Christian life is a challenge. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, he tells us all those things of the old man brought on the wrath of God. It brought on that area in which was displeasing to God. And how many of us really want to live a life that is pleasing to God? Ask yourself that question. Do you really want to live a 
in a manner that is pleasing to God. Because, see, that's the real challenge. Living a life pleasing to God. And oftentimes, that's the life we fight against. Because to us, that's the life that doesn't seem very important. Don't seem very exciting. Don't seem very joyful or something that will make me happy. But you and I need to understand something. We are to put on a new self. Oftentimes in Christianity, people get saved, but they still live how? Same way. Oftentimes that comes strictly out of ignorance also. And therefore, the Lord tells us in that passage that you are going to renew yourself with new knowledge. If you don't get new knowledge, and the question is, do you spend time gathering the new knowledge? Do you allow yourself the opportunity to learn? Wouldn't it be great if you could go through college and get a certificate and never have to know anything different than what it was when you came in? Wouldn't that be great? We're almost there anyhow. You just pay the bill. We'll give you something. But the reality is the new knowledge ought to cause you and I to act differently, to perform differently, to think differently. And that's what the challenge is, is to put on the old, because oftentimes when we say that we're saved, we're seeing people still live with the same old mentality, doing the same old things, receiving the same old rewards for what they have done. That old saying is true. If you keep doing the same old thing, you'll receive the same old thing. The, the key here in Christianity is to put on. You have to take off also. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3. And in that verse 7, he says, You used to walk, mentioning all the things we went through last week. He says, this is how you used to live. This is how you used to walk. This is how you used to behave. This is what you used to do. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. Now, boy, you need to understand, the life you what? Once lived. In other words, you're no longer living that life any longer. You're no longer living in the same manner that you once did. You're not living that way anymore. Oh yes, you may go to the same address. You may sleep in the same bed. You may be with the same person. Wouldn't it be amazing, amazing, when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, He changed your children too? But you still got to deal with them. Hey? 
But the thing is, you are to change. A lot of things around you may not change. But you change. And because you change, you begin to operate and function and deal with things differently. Because you change. If you don't change, yes, you're saved. You're one of those just saved, making it out of the fire. Got all the stench on you of the fire, but you're saved. But you never learn to live the abundant life. You never live the life that allows you to prosper. Again, in Malachi, in chapter 3, uh, the question is asked, and, and, and the Lord says, You say, to love me and to live for me is fruitful. You say, to keep my commandments and to follow them, they don't profit you. And a lot of people think that way. Okay, I'm a Christian, but to live the way God wants me to live is not profitable in this time of history, in this day, in what's going on in this world today. To live the way he wants me to live, no, that's not too cool today. That's not too sharp. That, no, I'm going to lose out on a lot of things if I live that way. And God is saying, this is how I want you to live. Put on the new self. Put on this new self. And that's the challenge for us. To put on something new. And to renew our knowledge. And oftentimes we don't want to do that. So when you look in verse 10 in Colossians 3, he says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. In other words, I'm not going to operate with the old knowledge. I'm going to operate with new knowledge. The old knowledge won't fit the new life. And oftentimes, when we say we change, we haven't changed. We use the word, but we're still thinking the same way. <laughs> we're still doing the same things. We still run after the same things. So what has really changed? And he says, unless you renew your knowledge, you won't change. Remember, back in Proverbs, as a man, what? So shall he live. So it, it, it becomes important for you and I to renew our minds with new knowledge. Some of us know how to survive. We're experts in survival. We know how to live in this world and get by in this world. But that's all we're doing is just getting by. 
And he wants more than that. He wants you walking on a higher plane. He wants you living an abundant life. He wants you living a joyful life. He wants you living in peace. He doesn't promise you everything that this world can offer. And all this stuff that the world can offer is only temporal, and one day you're going to leave it. (laughs) But he says, you are being renewed in knowledge. If you're being renewed in knowledge, you had knowledge, but the question is this. What kind of knowledge? And where did that knowledge come from? See, see, God isn't saying you were a dummy. You were empty-headed. You were stupid. You had some knowledge. But the question is, where does that knowledge flow from? Either you're going to be taught by Satan and his demons or you're going to be taught by God through the Holy Spirit. Those are the only two that's going to do the teaching. Your job is to be able to receive but now you have to figure out who are you receiving knowledge from. Who are you receiving knowledge from? Go to John 8 with me just for a moment. I went through a couple of these. John chapter 8. Because you need to know that Satan himself will teach those that are in his camp. He'll surround you with friends, per se, that are of that camp. He'll allow those friends of yours that you call friends of the world teach you his philosophy about life and how you should handle things in life. And oftentimes it's the wrong counsel. Oftentimes, it's the wrong thing. Uh, We witnessed something on Thursday. How Satan works in his world. We're just sitting at McDonald's. And some of you remember on Thursday, it was raining pretty good. And this guy brings his dog in between the two doors there at McDonald's. And he leaves his pit bull in that doorway while he goes in and places his order. So when the young lady who works for McDonald's got ready to go out and hand the bag to somebody who was waiting, who had placed their order, she saw the dog and she wouldn't open that door. And she just finally stated Whose every dog is out here cannot be on the premise. You need to take your dog outside. And he walked over and said, well, it's raining out. And the lady said, 
I have no control of that. That's not my problem. You have to move your dog out of the way because I have to give the bag to a car that's out here waiting at the drive-up window. So he stepped out with her, removed the dog, let her give the bag, and then when she was done, he brought the dog back in. One customer came to the door and saw the pit bull in there. He walked all the way around the building to come through the other door. So the lady told him again, Sir, you have to move your dog off the premise. And boy, the argument started. And he started in on her. She was trying to hold it. But when he called her, you big, ooh boy. Good thing another employee jumped between them because that little guy had been tore up. <laughs> and we sat there and we watched how Satan rules over his people. He continues to bring them where? Down. God continues to do what with his people? Lift them up. Both of them were in their knowledge, in a sense, because she jumped right back into her street ways. When it was all over, one of the guys at the table shared with her about her professionalism. She's supposed to be a professional. because She's there with us on Thursday, and we've got to know some of the employees. And I shared with her, you dropped your Christianity and you went back to your worldly ways of handling something. And that's most of us. We will drop our what? And we go back to a worldly way of handling things. And God is saying, no, you can't do that. You're my child. You're not his child. You're my child. This is how you're going to function. This is how you're going to behave. This is how you're going to talk. This is how you're going to handle this situation. You're my child. And we handle things differently than the folks who live over there. We handle it differently. And he says, You belong to your father, the devil. I remember the other day, even at the funeral, when I stepped in and I was meeting this person and they just looked up at me and they said, you're brown. I'm trying to think what I know. See, all you browns look alike. And the thing is, there's 14 of us. How do we all look alike? But right away she said, you're brown. You know, people can say about you, you're a Christian or you're what? Yeah. They can see how you're functioning, how you're talking, how you're acting, how you're behaving, whether or not if you are really a what? A Christian or not. You're no longer living in the house of Satan. Satan is no longer your father. God is your father. 
You've been adopted into the household of the living God. Yes, when you were born, you were born over here in this household of iniquity and sin and wickedness. And you were under that father, the God of this world. But you were adopted and bought over into the house of the living God. And he says, now put off that old stuff and put on the new. And that's the challenge. Or you're going to identify with your old father or you're going to identify with your new father. You're going to identify with one or the other. And look what he said. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Now, whose desires do you want to carry out? Who do you really want to please? Who do you really want to smile on you? You have to make that choice. If you want the father who beat you, if you want the father who lied to you, if you want the father who is constantly taking you down, or do you want the father who wants to uplift you, the father who encourages you, the father who loves you, even during your time of rebellion and misbehavior, he's loving you. Hey, you have to make that choice. Go to 1 Corinthians 1, 20. Because, see, if you're in his household, he's going to continue to teach you. Hey, and he's going to teach you the ways of the world. And he's going to do that. Because why? You're there. You're still recognizing him as father, even though you've been adopted. So, in chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, listen to what it says. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? And guess what? That's what we all look for. We look for that person who is the scholar, who is the right professor, who is this person who can teach me, this person who I can read and gather knowledge from. The question is, how correct is that knowledge? How close is that knowledge lying up with the things of God? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Hasn't God made foolish the way in which the world functions and the way the world does things? And God is simply saying here, I have a better way. I have a better way. I have much more superior knowledge. I have much more superior wisdom. And all you have to do is ask for it. And guess what? I want to teach you. If you'll let me teach you. That's why I've given you the Holy Spirit. But in many of our lives, the Holy Spirit just lies dormant 
or he's a person that, boy, we don't bother too much or call upon too much or even train our ears to hear. And when's the last time you allowed the Holy Spirit as you go through Bible study or you do your devotion to really teach you? To really open your eyes and reveal to you. God has to reveal himself to you. The other night we was in a Bible study and this man shared with me. I can't believe that there's three and one. And then he kind of tricked himself. I said, turn to Psalms 18. No, was it 108? 113. Anyhow, the verse was 18. 83. Psalms 83, verse 18. And what he's trying to get to was that they knew me not by the name Jehovah. So when he came over to my Bible and we turned the page, my Bible don't have the word Jehovah, it has the word Lord. <laughs> he said, this is a misprint. This is a misprint. And I said, sir, titles are the name of our God because it follows an action. God's names follow an action. When you really understand the Jews and read something about the Jews, they would not speak the real name of God. And then when you go to Isaiah 6, you understand it. Because Isaiah says, the lips of what kind of man? A sinful man. And we went there. And that the name of a holy, righteous God would never come off the lips of a sinful man. He had knowledge, just the wrong kind of knowledge. And I shared with him, it's okay for you to believe the way you believe because I understand this. You can't change that until God reveals himself to you. You can't change that until the Holy Spirit convicts you. And sometimes we have to let people have their knowledge because that's the only knowledge they have until God intercedes. But our job was to just witness and show him the truth. Now it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict him of truth. And he says, where's the philosophers? Where are those that are wise? Where are those that are teaching? And then in Colossians 2, in that verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. In other words, empty philosophy, empty teaching. Teaching that's not profitable for you. Teaching that you can't even stand upon. It's not a solid foundation for you. And then 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this world has blinded. How does he blind? 
He blinds you by giving you something that's not true, but yet you focus on it. And when you're focused on something, you're blinded to everything else. So what Satan gives you is a thing of knowledge, but it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. But you're focused on it. And you're believing that lie. And when you believe a lie, you're blinded to the truth. You're blinded to the truth. Now, when we remove something from our lives, something has to replace it. Something has to replace it. When I stop lying, I have to speak truth. Truth then replaced my what? My lying. Something always replaces. And he says, I want you to put off this old stuff. Now I want you to put on these new things. Because he realized if you don't replace it with something, that enemy who was teaching you that lie in that area of your life is going to even come back stronger. It's going to come back stronger. Go to Luke 11. Because... Jesus is saying, yeah, you can clean up the house, but if you don't replace and put something else there, boy, you're just inviting that old thing to come right on back. And that's why you see people sometimes, they only change for a little bit because they didn't put anything in there to what? Replace it. If I stop cussing, i got to put some other vocabulary words in those places. For that when I want you to know I'm upset, I don't have to cuss you out, but I can use these words. And you'll know that I'm upset with you. So in Luke 11, I want to go here, verse 26, let's pick up here. Let's pick up 24. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through... It goes to an era, place, to an arid place, seeking rest, and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. So, Satan knows how to give you a little break. In that little break, you take on a false security. I won this. I'm over this. And Satan sometimes lets you get comfortable. It happens again to you. Because you didn't fill that void with something. And he simply says, when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of the man is worse than the first. So the Lord knows when you take off, you got to put on. Because when you look at those things that you're taking off, they're not of God, they're of Satan. And when you take off those 
clothes of Satan, now you've got to put something else on. And that's why the scripture says, clothe yourself with these things. And oftentimes, you and I, we will try it out of habit. We'll stop doing this because we recognize it is bad. But guess what we won't do? We won't replace it. We'll just stop doing it because we recognize this is bad. This is wrong. But we don't replace it with anything. And there's no such thing as a vacuum, really. Whenever you have an empty space, two things are going to fill it. By science. Air or water. (laughs) Air or water. You have something that's empty, air will fill that space. You see on TV sometimes when they suck all the air out of something and it collapses. What you have is those two pieces of plastic coming together to make one in a sense. Wherever there is a void, something's going to fill it. When there's a void, something's going to fill it. And when you take off something, how many of you take off and then take off your clothing and then run outside? We don't do that, do we? We at least put something on. Because we realize we've what? Taken something off. And to go outside with nothing on means that we're going to be in trouble. And to take off the things of Satan and not put on the things of God means you're going to be in trouble. You have to put something on. And God says, put it on. So when we get to verse 12 in Colossians 3, He begins to say, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, dearly loved, clothe yourself. I let the E off clothe. But clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. Now, what is he saying? When you were a babe, You didn't come from the hospital naked. Somebody put something on you. And from that day on, somebody was clothing you. Even when you were laying in the basket, you had something on. You were always clothed with something. What God is saying now, you're grown enough. You're mature enough. You're of age. You put it on. And we say that to our kids. Put your shoes on. I'm not putting them on no more. Put your pants on. Can you see a mother going upstairs dressing a 13, 14 year old? Wouldn't you guys like that? (laughs) Hey. 
You come to a place where you clothe yourself. You put them on. They've been provided for you. They're in the closet. They're hanging there. They're in the drawer. It's all been provided. But now the only thing you got to do is reach in there, grab it, put it on. Everything that God is going to tell you to put on has been provided for. It's in your closet. It's in your drawer. You just got to want to put it on. You have to want to put it on. My dad, on Sunday we were frustrating him some. And, but boy, we learned not to frustrate him after a while. Because on Sunday morning, we knew we were supposed to put on our dress slacks. We were supposed to put on our dress shirt. We were supposed to put our tie on and go to church. And sometime we're with him. Let's go ahead and put the jeans on. Let's go ahead and put this on. Let's go ahead and put that on. And we run downstairs. Go back upstairs and change. What we was trying to do is make him late for church. And if we make him late for church, he may not want to go to church. But one day we ran down there with our jeans on and so forth. And when he brought out that old army belt, <laughs> we didn't run down no more with Jesus. <laughs> and the thing is, God wants to see you dressed properly for he does not have to discipline you for the wrong action because you are dressed properly. You have clothed yourself properly and you're behaving properly as a Christian. So, he says again, therefore, as God's chosen people, elected people, you're who I've chosen, who I've picked. And I want you to know something else. You are dearly loved by me. This is what I'm going to ask of you. Clothe yourself with compassion. Put it on. Now what he's saying, compassion here, not so much just love, but mercy. Learn to be merciful in your actions. And a lot of times, as Christians, we're not too merciful in our actions. You hit, I'll hit. You call me out a name, I got one better than you. And we don't act out of mercy. The whole process is that in some scriptures it says the bowels of mercy. That you and I have to learn how to act like God. Each one of these is a characteristic of our God. And we need to understand it. That compassion here is having pity. Did God have pity on Gus Brown? Did God have pity on you? Yes. Why? 
Because he did not deal with me according to my sins or my iniquities. God had mercy on me. Most of the time we will deal with people as their sin. Yeah, I see it. Now you want to see some of mine? Rather than being merciful or giving pity to that individual. The whole process is for you and I to act not so much out of our emotions for the flesh, but out of our emotions of our God. And in Lamentations, it just tells us, God's mercies are new each and what? Every day. If that's God, what should that be about us? And he's, he's saying, be merciful to others. Why? Because of what he said earlier. You once lived in that way. The only way you're living differently is because I've been merciful to you. Now show that mercy to somebody else. Show it to somebody else. Then he comes back with the word kindness. Kindness is what's going to help build your character. But in that kindness is usefulness also. That when you show kindness and you're willing to show kindness, God is able to use you. And when you're kind to a person who's mean to you, they can't handle that. Just that you and I have to remember. A soft word of kindness turns away wrath. But you and I have to remember that. We have to remember what we've put on. Because, see, the old thing would have hurt somebody. See? The whole process, God says, I want you to be merciful and I want you to show kindness. Sometimes we get tired of being kind to folks. I've been so kind to them and look how they treating me. Just think of God. And God said, I'm tired of being kind to them. Look how they treat me. I'm their father. Where's my respect? I'm their God. Where's my honor? But look how they treat me. I'm tired of being kind to them. What would happen if God stopped being kind to us? Go to Romans 2.4 real quick. Because we need to see this as one of the characteristics of God and how he functions in ministering to us. 
is not often that discipline per se brings around, brings about repentance or forgiveness. But it's the kindness that is shown that oftentimes you will eventually hear a person say, forgive me. Forgive me. Because eventually they recognize you didn't have to be kind to them. You didn't have to do that good deed for them. You didn't have to help them. Look at verse 4. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the rich of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards what? Your kindness to others is to help them to discover the goodness of God. Your kindness caused others to really look at themselves and evaluate themselves and see themselves and bring themselves into repentance, in a sense. Your kindness leads them in a different way of life. Sometimes, and this is something I've learned in life, I don't have to tell a person to stop cussing around me. They just need not to hear me use the language that they use. And when they're around me enough and they don't hear that language from me, guess what? They change their language without me ever saying a word to them. Man, don't. Don't be cussing around me. Man, don't be using those words around me. You just don't use them. And by you not using them, you change your environment around you. Your kindness will change your environment. Then he goes on, he said, I want you to put on this thing of humility, humbleness. In this, the key is this here, seeing yourself. Seeing yourself. My wife and her sisters they had a nickname for me when I was young. Bulletproof. Because I light you up. My dad used to say, when Gus start crying, get away from me. Because that's when you're going to get hurt. But all that had to learn to be under control. In Vietnam, we were assigned to get someplace by a certain time to go out with another unit. That's where me and Roger used to back and forth. Roger, a buck sergeant, I'm an E-4 corporal. In the Army, that buck sergeant is about the same rank as a corporal. And I had my four or five guys up under me. And this one Army guy wasn't going to get on the flight. He, he dilly-dallying and everything. And I just finally went over and told him. Military code says the higher rank rules. I just went over and told him. 
if you don't get on this plane, I'm going to shoot you. And I meant that. So Cruz, behind me was, I didn't know until later, was shaking his head. <laughs> you do it, man. The whole process is to be able to see yourself. And therefore, Jesus in Matthew 7 said, yeah, you got this little sawdust in your eye, but you see this big plank in your brother's eye. You're more worried about trying to get theirs out than what? Yes. And what this humbleness is, and this is some experience to do, is to first look at yourself. When you look at yourself and see what God brought you out of, see what God has healed you from, see how God has tempered you, how God's taken away your anger, your hurt, your madness, you can really deal with other people. But you got to remember where you come from in order for you to deal with others. And that's what that humility there is talking about. That you look at yourself first. You really see yourself. See, we're a group of pastors and we're taking personality tests and uh, when mine came back, the gentleman told me, you're too lenient. You're not forceful. You, you're not this. You won't make a good leader. What he didn't know is my life in the past. So I'm trying to protect myself from going back that way. Because I always look at a thing of authority if authority speaks, you move. And if I have authority and you didn't move, you would never have to worry about moving again. My wife, we're in this session when we were working for shelter care and, and uh, she's kicking me under the table because the counselor, the psychologist had proposed this question, what would you do if your son would not get his hair cut? And all the people thought, well, I'll take away this, I'll take away that. Elaine just a kicking me, and I'm, you know. So when he asked me, I said, that's the easy one. He either get his hair cut or he won't have no head. And the guy kind of looked at me. I said, I will Bop that boy everywhere. I'll take a baseball bat. He'll be glad to get a haircut when I get done with him. And most likely, I'll be the one cut it. Because I remember how my dad used to cut our hair. A lot of y'all didn't know. There was not always electric clippers. There was those hand job things. And what my dad would do, he would grab us and put us between his legs. And he'd start cutting our hair. Because you're going to be, ooh, ooh, because them things sometimes didn't cut because they weren't sharp. They'd be pulling more than they would cut. 
And I imagine that's part of what I get from my dad because my dad had one rule. He's going to talk one time. He wasn't going to talk twice. Second time, you was picking yourself up. Elaine knew that one because her dad was much like that. Her oldest daughter, her oldest sister, you be home by such and such time. And dad just waiting for him to come in. And first he asked the young man, and she knew what time she was supposed to be home. And by the time he got done with his daughter, the young man was out the door. Humility. You got to drop what you used to be and put on this humbleness. And sometimes that's frightening to us because we think if we become too humble, somebody's just going to run over us. Somebody's going to take advantage of us. So understand this principle. A person can go no further than what God allows them to go in your life. A person can steal no more from you than what God really allows them to steal from you. Then he says gentleness. It's a meekness. It's learning not to be harsh. And that's me. I have to learn not to be harsh. I understand there's lines, there are limits and so forth. But even in that, you can dismiss gently. You can fire where people understand in such a way. You're not doing it out of grudgery or vengeance or being mean. But you really are sorrowful that you have to let them go. And that's that meekness. Not the harshness. Not the bitterness. But that you are showing some gentleness. You're showing pity or compassion or being merciful in your actions here. And even in letting them go, you're trying to show as much kindness as possible. And then he says, patience. Patience can be difficult. See, my children taught me patience. And the whole thing with patience is this, how to persevere. You're persevering and you're enduring while the other person is learning. You are persevering and enduring while the other person is learning. Just take a piano teacher. If she's not patient for you to learn where those notes are and know where the flat is and this and that, she's not going to teach very well. She's going to lose a student. Or she's going to hurt a student. Anyone who does teaching 
if they're not patient, if, 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 if the people didn't learn anything else yesterday in my message, they did learn this, because when I got to the house, they were talking about it. Uh, yeah, Pastor Brown said, you men were slow to learn. And, and the whole process was that, yeah, in the learning process, whoever's doing the teaching or setting the example has to be patient enough for the other person to grasp it. You have to give them time. And sometimes it's more time than what you would be willing to give. Never run away from a person who you are teaching and you let that person leave you. Don't you leave them. Because God is teaching you something through that person. He's giving you the ability to endure. He's teaching you how to persevere under difficulties. He's teaching you something. But when you leave it, before time, you will not learn what God wants you to learn. But with patience, you want to be able to endure. You want to be able to hang in there. You want to be able to be steadfast. You want to be a person who persevere and endure even in the most harshest of times with another person. Why? God's developing something in who? In you. In you. In you. Now you take all five of these things. They are the character of our God. And this is what God says. You're made in my image. Well, how is he going to make you into his image if he don't have you clothe yourself with the clothing that he wears, in a sense? You're not going to look nothing like him. You're not going to resemble him in any way unless you clothe yourself in these things. And when you clothe yourself in these things that he's asking you, then you begin to show forth the image of the living God. And this is what he's done for you and I. And he's saying, I want you to repeat this in the life of others. I want you to repeat this in the life of others. Put off all the old. All the immoral lifestyle. All the lying to one another. Put that off. Put off your anger and your rage. Put it off. And put these things on. When you put these on, you're going to discover this is what you're able to do. He says, you'll be able to forgive. You'll be able to forgive. Forgive. 
bear with each other, you'll be able to do. You'll be able to bear with people who are unbearable. (laughs) You'll be able to forgive them. Why? Because you're looking at yourself. You're looking at yourself. You'll be able to forgive them. And he says in verse 11, 13, bear with each other in 13 and forgive whatever grievance you may have. Because he recognized if you're not forgiving that, you're not going to be able to show kindness. If you're not forgiving that, you're not going to be able to be patient with that person or forbear with that person, endure with that person. If you're not forgiving that, you're not going to be gentle with that person. You think you're gentle, but if you hear yourself, how the other person may hear you is something else. And he comes down, verse 14, and over all these virtues put on love. Why is that? None of them will function without love. None of them are authentic without love. You can act like you love me. But I don't know if you really love me by how much you'll suffer from me. If you suffer little from me, you don't love me very much. But you tell oh, I love you. Yeah. Because the action of love will show you the patience. The action of love will give you the benefit of the doubt. And I'll show you pity and mercy. Without love, these things won't function. They won't function. And they all have to function in love. Why? That's what God is, love. And what does he want people to see of us? Love. 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 And God puts it in this way. That while you were yet my enemy, I demonstrated my love for you by allowing my son to go to the cross for you. Because love has to always be demonstrated. I can stand and tell you all day long, I love you. And mistreat you at the same time. I can tell you I love you. And I can beat you to the inch of your life. I can tell you I love you this morning as I head out to work. Stop by somebody else's house where I get back home. And get back home and tell you I love you. Love will never do you any ill. Any wrong. Let's close out with this. In verse 15, 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Without love and without peace, the peace here is the relationship you have with God. The peace of God and the peace with God. When you have peace with God, these things will function. Why? It takes Him working through you to administer these things to other people. The flesh cannot do it. The flesh cannot do it. God can. God can. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. There comes the knowledge. If you don't renew yourself with knowledge, with the word of Christ, you're not going to be able to function. As you teach, as you what? You know what he just called all of you? Teachers. You teach on your job. You teach in your home. You're teaching your next door neighbor. You're teaching your children. You're teaching when you're on the bus. You're teaching constantly. You're teaching. You're teaching. You're teaching. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks. When you put this on, this new self, you do it all in the name of Jesus. That's why some of us don't get dressed. Because we really don't want people to know it's in the name of who? Jesus. And that's the worst mistake that we make. Because when we take off, we need to put something on. If we take it off, Satan's going to come back if we haven't put something on in his place. But what we put on, like we would say, my mama bought this for me. My mama got this for me. We're down to O'Neill, we was at Robert Hall's. Remember those shine tone coats? Some of you that's old enough? My mama got me this. When somebody talks about what they see, my daddy got me this. And I'm proud to wear it. I'm proud to wear it. It is the new fab. It's the newest thing out here. 
It may not be a Michael Jordan. It may not be a LeBron. But it is of a Jesus Christ. And I'm proud to wear it. I'm proud to wear it. Are you proud to put on what God is asking you to put on? Father, we do thank you for ministering to us. And I pray, Father, that as you have said, if any man be in Christ, if any woman is in Christ, any child is in Christ, anyone who is in Christ, the old things are passing away. They're undressing themselves. They're getting rid of the malice. They're getting rid of the anger. They're getting rid of the madness and the wrath. They're getting rid of the jealousy. They're getting rid of the self-pride. And they're putting on what you have provided for them. Help us to put it on. And as we put these things on, we will see something new coming. We'll see ourselves not so much arguing with people as having conversation with people. We'll see ourselves not mad at people, but understanding where people are and getting a life story from them that we can minister to them. We won't be short-tempered, but we'll be long-suffering with them. And we can walk with them until you separate us. And Father, you're the one who in sense separated Philip and the eunuch. You sent him there to minister to him. The scripture doesn't tell us that Philip really left him, but that the eunuch, after it was all done and what you wanted him to hear and what you wanted Philip to do, the eunuch continued his journey. And when we have accomplished what you want us, in a sense, to accomplish in a person's life, you will send them on, not us running from them. Because we have the word of life. We have the light of life. We have the living water. We have the bread that cometh from above. We have the words of truth that will set them free. We have the one who will give them peace. We have the one who will share new knowledge with them through us. There's a reason you want us to endure, to persevere, to be gentle with them, to show kindness to them. It demonstrates that we have left the old way of life and put on the new. 
Thank you, Lord, for providing the closet of clothing for us that is needed for this hour and this time. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.